Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your creepy Wednesday tale. Today, I have a set of three tales. Our first being a listener submitted story titled Dark by Arlefi Yang. Their story entails the town succumbed to a darkness in the sky. But what will it bring with it? We'll soon find out. The second tale is Frequencies, an unusual take on a perspective of life that many narrators simply don't explore. And your third tale, Rest in Peace, explores the concept of life after death, family, and the different kinds of natural bonds that we share in life. A big thank you to Arlif Yang in advance for sending your story through. It's an absolute pleasure to narrate your tale. I hope to see more from you in the future, mate. For all of you at home thinking if you should put pen to paper, go for it. Don't hold back. Write up a draft or a concept and feel free to send me your story, short tale, or even discuss your thoughts via email with me at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com and don't be shy on how much and what you can write once the ball is rolling. One more update. I'll be on my Easter break starting today, and we'll be back next Wednesday with a whole new set of stories for your lovely ears. Feel free to reach out to me via email though, because I'm always listening. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's listen to something different. It happened all too fast. It was raining hard when they arrived. My dad whispered something in my ear, telling me to go to the back and hide quietly, and that if he doesn't come out after a minute, he told me to run as fast as I could and hide somewhere safe. Then they came inside and attacked my dad. All I heard was the sound of flesh ripping and screams from my dad. I knew he fought for his life, but they were too strong. And what he faced were no longer human anymore. When they left our hiding spot, I ran as fast as I could down the woods where I can hide, temporarily. But I lost my footing and slipped, falling on something hard, and hit my head badly. The last thing I remember before I lost consciousness was the terrible image of my dad being eaten alive by those evil creatures. But let me tell you what happened before. The world went dark. Two days ago, everything was normal. A normal sunny day, in fact. My dad and I were talking about my first day at high school. I was so excited to tell him I made friends. Then it happened. The darkness happened. 
Huge, dark clouds started to appear and covered the sky. With a resonating roar echoing from up above, it was a deep, loud noise, enough to make anyone fall to their knees. People all around me were screaming. They ran, hid, and most started to lose their mind. It was in their eyes. I could see it. When the roar stopped, I looked up and saw nothing but obsidian clouds covering the skies. No single ray of light was able to pass through those thick, pitch-black sheets of cloud cover. Get in the car, Caleb. Now! Dad exclaimed. That's not our car, Dad. I replied, scared, but still focused somehow. He grabbed my hand and forced me to get inside. But what about other people? Dad, we need to help them. I suggested. You worry too much about other people. Right now, it's time to worry about our own safety first. We were on the road for a couple of hours, until the car stopped. We couldn't figure out why, but neither of us were car savvy. We had no choice but to stay for a moment in the middle of nowhere until my dad figured out what to do. I was exhausted and slept soundly and woke up to my dad's hand, gently slapping my face. Wake up. Come on, get up now. We need to hurry and find another place to hide, he stated, with a tinge of vaguely masked concern, so as not to alarm me. But why? I said wearily, rubbing the sleep out of my eyes and looking outside, adjusting my waking vision on the view ahead. It's still dark, I replied. Staring at me with stern eyes, he grabbed me out of the car and told me that there's not much time left before whatever is out there finds us. There were no cars, no people around. Everything was peaceful for all the dark surrounding us. The darkness brought me a strange, eerie feeling. The air was heavy and cold. I knew something bad had happened, but exactly what had happened was far beyond my reach at that moment. We walked for a few miles until we found a place to stay for a while. I noticed that my dad was quiet the whole time. It wasn't by any means unusual, but I was so nervous I had to ask him something. Are you okay, dad? He just nodded, twice slowly. Seems like he knew something I didn't. I looked at him straight in the eyes. D did you notice the bodies along the way? Both concerned and gravely worried that he knew more than he would say, he let out a deep sigh. <sighs> yes, honestly, I hope you'd not notice them. But who am I kidding? There are too many of them to ignore. And the way they died, it looks like something ate them. Dad held back a shudder. 
I could tell he was doing his best to stay strong, and saw the fear in his eyes. The darkness took hold, not just physically, but seemed to ebb into his soul. So, something did eat them? I insisted, with a sort of disbelief in the situation. Last night, I didn't sleep because I watched over you. I knew something sinister was heading our way, and we couldn't know what would happen if one of us weren't on guard. He said. Then, Dad, what happened out there? There are people walking outside. I even asked a guy around your age about what was happening out there as well. He had no idea either, but he told me that I should go somewhere safe. Specifically and strangely enough, the guy told me to stay away from the moon's light. Showing mild confusion on his face as Dad said that, I raised an eyebrow and asked in confusion myself. What do you mean away from the moon's light? Caleb, the bodies in the street were the least of our worries. They were already dead. It was when the moon shows up that we should be afraid. Did you actually see what happened when the moon showed up above? I asked, tears starting to fall down my cheeks, dreading the answer. And what I thought would become of us. He whispered cautiously. They are turned into something else. Something far from human, and definitely evil by nature. Their eyes are silver in color, their skin turned red, and they still look human-ish from afar. But they are the furthest thing from being human once you get up close. What are these creatures though? Like, where do you think they come from? I asked, having regained control of my emotions. They, the creatures from the dark, started eating those humans who didn't turn evil. I was lucky I hid behind a wrecked car and watched them. That's how I think they're made. It was terrifying. He continued. He held my hand and told me to stop dwelling on it for now and that we need a clear head. But that was impossible after I noticed that his right leg was bleeding. Dad, your leg is bleeding. How long have you been bleeding, Dad? Why didn't you tell me? It could be serious. He brushed the wound off as nothing serious, even though I knew it had to hurt. Dad's always been a brave man, a traditional tough guy. But one of those men that you knew had your back when everything went pear-shaped. His reaction to my inquiry was not entirely unexpected. We walked for hours and he never showed any pain from that gash. Maybe he thought that finding a place is way more important than his bleeding leg. And he'd be right. Eventually, as we walked, he shared the encounter that led to the wound. One turned kid bit me on the leg before I smashed his... Wait... It's hidden with a rock, he said. It was awful, but I had to do it. While still holding my hand and leaning in solemnly, Caleb, 
If you see me slowly turning into one of them, you must promise me that you'll kill me. That will never happen, Dad. You've come this far, Dad. We can do this. I can never hurt you. I said, holding back tears once more. I want to leave this world without turning into one of them. Please, Caleb. I want you to promise me. He said, and not looking at me this time, staring off into the distance. I wondered if he really had come to terms with what could come of this. I can't help think, though, that he was doing what he thought was best, instead of what he wished he could do to survive. It was the kind of stare that told me of a knowing, a deep understanding, to be strong, and despite what was happening, to stay strong. I don't know why, but I smiled. Then, it began to rain. It was pouring hard, and when I looked outside, I could barely see my surroundings. It was pitch dark. It happened so fast, too fast. They arrived. The smell of blood invited them, despite the rain, washing the traces of dad's blood from the leaves and ground. No one can escape. And now, here I am, freezing from the cold, lost and stuck in the middle of the woods, and all alone in the dark, barely able to see my surroundings. I'm up Shit Creek, and I don't have a paddle, and just now they found me. I can see their eyes now. Those eyes. It was shining despite the dark. There are too many of them to fight. Even if I could, just so, so many, all around me. I remember what my dad whispered in my ear, those last words that lingered in my head before he died. Never look at the moon. It will corrupt you. The darkness will turn you into one of them. But it takes an evil to defeat one, and I guess the moon was my only chance of survival. It's starting to show up. I can see rays of pale silvery light shining down on the trees. So, I look up, yet my eyes are closed. Frequencies I pondered upon the garden, the moonlight illuminating my figure. I had no time to craft the image of the setting within my vision, for I knew that there was too much to catch the scent of. I slid my nose against the dirt, attempting to find something of interest to me within the soil. After an arduous yet excitement-fueled search, I came to the conclusion that there was nothing within the blanket of sediment, yet an empty bliss still washed over me as my four paws carried me to my bed. Yet, it was not as easy as that. It didn't make it that easy. I felt a twitch and shudder within my hearing, my ears swaying from the presence of a painful piercing. I tried to carry on to ignore it, but the sound was too powerful, pushing me back like a violent wind. In an instant, I snapped into a defensive position, my eyes firing their pupils in random directions 
Yet as my eyes continued to frantically capture what was the source of agonizing sound, another shell of audible suffering bombards me. A voice, so incredibly similar to those who fed and kept me, began to scream and yell. I did not understand a single word they spoke, but what I did understand was more of the pain that came with it. I felt my body begin to shake before my body fell through the ground. I looked down to see how far I was falling, only to see I was still standing upon the veranda. I felt my tendons twist and my fur skin begin to peel off, though I knew I was still physically fine. My eyes were consumed by a red haze until descending into an opaque image of crimson, and I saw faces. I knew them. They were wrong. Why were they so wrong? And so, within the physical abilities my body could mentally perform at that point, I could only scream. In that screeching void, I could only remember how loud I barked. Growls erupting from my throat through the pyroclastic flow of my barking against an unknown entity of frequency. The torment only elevated every part of me bathing with an invisible acid. At this point, my mind could no longer distinguish between a fabricated pain or actual decay of my body. The red void burnt my eyes to a disintegrated ember as I continued to hear the same voice engraving its screams into my already damaged psyche. The voice continued until I heard another. Shush! A familiar voice hissed from the glass door. Within those words, everything disappeared in an instant. The door slammed and they walked away. Once I had stumbled into bed, the memory of what had just happened replayed over and over in my mind, yet with every replay, I felt more and more details begin to fragment and disappear until it was nothing but a fever dream. As I sat there, I began to wonder if it had happened last month, last week, or even last night, and I had simply forgotten. Yet all I knew was that they did not perceive what I had just experienced as anything. Simply nothing. Barking at nothing. Rest in Peace Growing up, I didn't have the best childhood. My parents were both ill, and I was told numerous times that my father was abusive. I later found out that was not the case. My mother, a psychiatrist, was ironically a depressed person who self-harmed. I guess she had an easier time pinning the blame for the cuts and bruises on her skin, on my openly insane father. Thinking about it, it's pretty funny that a person who helps others overcome their mental ailments cannot admit her own to her own child. My father was terribly ill when I was a kid, and until I was about 10, he had been medicated. However, at some point, he gave up on taking his medication. I never bothered asking why. I honestly didn't care. All I cared about was not having to deal with parents that constantly fight over every little thing. My father's illness made him act strange, but he was rather harmless, just odd. He'd speak weird or have random bursts of panic 
and withdrawn behaviour. Other than that, I don't remember much about him. When things started getting ugly, my parents sent me away to live with my paternal grandfather. He lived in the same town, so it wasn't a big move. And for as long as I can remember, Grandpa Stan was the coolest man ever. He might have been in his 60s in my earliest memories of him, but boy, he was probably the fittest man I ever met. Not to mention he was fairly lively and in touch with his inner child, as he liked to call it. I guess my grandma dying young from cancer had a profound effect on him. He wanted to live for as long as he could. I loved Grandpops like I loved nobody else. I remember the way he smiled when my mum told him I was going to stay with him for a while. As she put it back in early 93, I didn't really object to the idea of staying with my cool grandfather away from the painful parental fights at home. I got to keep all the benefits of staying in town while being away from home. Who wouldn't want that? We played a lot of field hockey during the five years I spent at Gramps. He was a huge fan of hockey. Apparently played it in his youth a lot. For a man who had both of his knees replaced due to the years of wear and tear, he was surprisingly mobile on his feet. He could probably still play in the NHL and make a good buck if he wanted to. I remember when I turned 13, he gave me my first adult comic book. The first issue of Watchmen. Gramps was an avid collector of comic books. He had a whole wall lined with various books spanning multiple collections and even languages. I remember how he sat me down after school that day, telling me that he had a special gift for me now that I've become a man. I sat in his kitchen, on an old wooden handcraft chair, eagerly awaiting this special gift. Butterflies flying in my stomach, waiting to burst out. He came back, sporting a grin on his face, with this comic book in his hand. He handed me the book, and I remember looking at it. For a moment, before opening the thing and riff-raffling through the pages. The dark colours, the graphic violence, the unusually serious and painfully realistic superheroes. I was blown away by it all. At the time, I didn't understand the full depth of the story like I do now, but still, I loved every little thing about the comic. It's my favourite to this day. I wore a Night Owl costume for Halloween that year, handmade by Grandpa Stan. He could do it all. Clean, sew, knit, fix, anything around the house. Don't get me started on his cooking. The man would cook like a culinary god. I swear, 11 old me hated vegetables. A month after eating Gramps' dishes, I could eat salads all day, every day. At 16, he gave me my first taste of alcohol. Some Polish vodka of a brand whose name I couldn't care enough to remember. I wasn't one of those kids that partied a lot or anything like that. I certainly had my fair share of friends, and I'd like to believe I was well-liked, but I stayed away from trouble. He sat me down one Friday evening after I'd come back from school and pulled out a bottle of vodka, told me we're going to drink together. He explained to me that drinking together is one of the best shows of love and respect between men, a gesture that creates a familial bond between them. I sat there, listening, letting all that wisdom sink in. He wasn't wrong. Drinking is a great way to spend your time with the people you love. As he would say, if you wake up feeling good in the morning after a night of drinking, your night wasn't very successful. Gramps poured the sharp smelling clear liquid into a cup and handed it to me. Then he poured one to himself and made a toast for my future. 
and we downed his liquor. Me being clueless, I followed suit, but instead of drinking it all in a single gulp, I sipped on the vodka slowly. The liquid scorched my mouth and throat. It tasted like shit and made me cough half of the shot all over myself. I heard Gramps laugh like a madman before he told me I should down the whole thing without quickly. That is, before he offered me a piece of marinated herring. That night was a good one. I woke up feeling awful the next morning, but I knew I had a great time the night before. Gramps taught me a lot of stuff. He taught me how to be self-sufficient, how to drive a car. He also taught me how to be a decent person, how to take care of others and not be bothered by stupid things and stupid people. Grandpa Stan taught me how to live right, I guess. He was a great man throughout the six years I spent in his care. I infrequently communicated with my parents and to be honest, I didn't really mind. At first, my mum's everything is fine, honey, infuriated me because I knew nothing was fine with her and dad, but then I stopped caring. I was too busy having a good time living. For all the good stuff in Gramps' house, there were a couple of odd things about him. He refused to close the windows at all times unless there was truly awful weather. He had excused it, saying he has a dear friend who lives in the forest and might want to visit. I never really believed that, and as I grew older, I came to think of it as a superstition he had brought with him from Europe. He also had that strange habit of sitting on his porch in the middle of the night. The one time I bothered asking him about it, he simply told me he was enjoying some good company, before telling me I should get back to sleep. I also have to mention that his house was this old handmade building not far from the local woods. It made some weird moaning noises every now and again in the winter, which at first freaked me out, but I later learned to ignore. Anyhow, I finished high school and moved out of town for college. As the years rolled on and I grew more independent, I kind of drifted away from Grandpa. I was too preoccupied with my life to even notice that. We did keep in touch, but the conversations and visits became less and less frequent. You know how it goes. You get busy with a job, then end up starting your own family, and the more distant relatives kind of fade into the background. Not that my parents were anywhere near close to me. I found out my parents divorced only during my senior year in college. My dad cut off any and all ties with us and my mum. Well, I kind of reconnected with her just a few years ago. I now have my own children, and I'm trying my best to be a good father and husband. I think I'm doing fine for now. The last time I've spent more than a day around my grandfather was the week I got married. Obviously, we remained in touch, and my wife and I visited him every now and again. A year ago, I received a letter from my father that Grandpa Stan passed away. It was short and merciless. Hey son, I'm sending this to you to let you know that my dear father passed away. The doctor said he died in his sleep from a stroke. Said it was calm on him. I was pissed. I was shattered. I screamed at the top of my lungs and broke into tears. Scared the living hell out of my wife. She was shattered too, because she loved him nearly as much as I did. I was hoping to be able to make it to his funeral, but I couldn't reach out to my father. It turned out he moved quite a lot and couldn't be located. He had no relatives with whom he was on speaking terms with. I felt almost betrayed. I was broken and sunk into a melancholy of sorts, 
not being able to part with the man who practically raised me was awful. And all the while I started slipping up at work. I'd get sick every month or so, nothing major, just the odd cold. I felt tired and kind of hollow on the inside for the longest time and kind of withdrew from my social life. Luckily, the family kept me on my feet. It took a while, but eventually I recovered from my bad episode and accepted the fact that life must go on. As hard as it sounds, that's how it is, and that's how Grandpa would have wanted it to be. Just as it all seemed to get back on track, reality came to knock me back down. Well, kind of. One night a couple of months ago, while it was still very much summer, a chilling breeze caressed my back as I was sleeping. It was so cold, it felt like an icy hand tracing its way across my skin. I woke up, trembling. I tried moving, but couldn't. I was frozen in place. The notion of sleep paralysis came to mind. I knew that whatever was going to happen was just a figment of my imagination, so I tried my best to stay calm. That didn't last long, though. As the room started getting colder and colder, I could see vapor rising out of my mouth. That wasn't a dream. The hairs on my body stood, and my heart rate was definitely rising. I was faced with the open window, and the moon shone brightly into my face. Something was wrong. I tried making a sound but couldn't. Nothing but muffled, choked noises came out of my throat. I lied there, a prisoner in my own body, as vines started crawling into my bedroom from the window. The more of them crawled, the faster my heartbeat became. Breathing became painful, and my chest was becoming sore. Soon enough, the vines formed the shape of something large. I tried moving, internally screaming and begging for my brain to unlock my body from its stasis. I was panicking as the vines took the shape of a man. It stood there, towering over my bed. Staring with its blank, eerie grey eyes into mine, the skin of his head was snow white and its face. It was painfully similar to that of my grandfather in his younger days. The thing had a collar of sorts made up of branches and twigs around its neck, and it had a wooden staff in its hand. A cloak of withering vines covered its form. We stared at each other for a few moments before it broke the silence. It spoke with disdain. A tone of pure hatred was audible in its raspy voice. I couldn't understand a word of what it was saying. I was just hoping that if this thing was corporeal, it wouldn't hurt my family or me. The thing went on and on for a while. I could only make out one word it uttered. Stanislaw. My heart sank when I heard it and the creature must have felt it somehow. It smiled and just walked across my bedroom and dissipated through the door, taking the frigid cold it brought with it. I was finally able to move once the thing was out of my sight. I gasped and inhaled a deep breath of air before jumping out of my bed. Morbid thoughts circulated in my mind. I bolted across the house, looking for the nightmarish creature. It was nowhere in sight. The kids were fast asleep in their rooms and once I was sure my family was safe, a different storm started forming in my head. That raspy voice. It played over and over in my ears. That name. Stanislaw. Grandpa's name. Something snapped in me and I 
I'm not even sure why. I just got into my car and drove to his old house. The whole way, I kept hearing that raspy chant over and over, like a broken record. And I just got angrier with every passing moment. Maybe in some strange way, I was working myself up for something. I honestly had no idea of what to expect in Gramps' old home. Once I got there, I marched straight to the front door. The exterior seemed to be in pristine condition, as if someone was taking care of the place until recently. Seeing the surprisingly good condition of the house, I snapped. I kicked down the door without warning. If there was anyone inside, I was going to drag them out. Then I burst into the old house, and a foul stench of rotten eggs and shit attacked my nostrils. Looking around, I didn't find much at first. The interior was all over the place. Dust coated everything and spiderwebs hung from the ceiling. Everything seemed so dull and normal for an abandoned place. That is, until I made my way into Gramps' former bedroom. There, the stench was beyond unbearable. Covering my nose with my shirt, I pushed the old wooden door open. The motion caused the wood to creak before the world came crashing down to a halt in front of my eyes. Before me swung the lifeless body of my father, a rope tied tightly around his neck. Below him, the poorly preserved body of my grandfather dressed in all white, half decayed. I have no idea what happened that night. I don't know whether this was my grandfather's ghost that came to me, to tell me about this injustice done to his body, or this friend of his he mentioned when I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe it was just my imagination. Maybe it was just a dream. I don't know. Honestly, I don't really care. Whatever it was, it helped me put my gramps to proper rest. We may never know for sure, but it seemed like my father couldn't handle the loneliness after gramps passed. He must have sunk further into the abyss that is madness before finally ending his own life. Now, they're both buried in the same cemetery, a few short yards apart, but I'll be visiting only one of them every now and again. Rest in peace, Grandpa Stan. You've earned it. Mates, loved all three of these tales. Again, a special thank you to Olive Yang for sending through your own tale, Dark. I love it when people send their stories in for me to read. So I'll mention it again. Email me your tales because I always love reading them. Now, mates, I want to thank my Patreon supporters that keep this podcast lights blaring. First up is my infinite supply of awesome, my Ode Night Tea Titan, Maya. Mate, the new music New sound effects and audio stings in this episode are all thanks to your support. I've been implementing them both overtly and subtly throughout the episode, and I'm loving the use of them. I've been spending more time on creating new background music as well by stretching the audio in different ways with the tools I have at my fingertips. Again, thanks to your support. Thank you, Maya. You're amazing. And your support at this level to this podcast helps me do amazing things. You're bloody marvellous. And my white tea warlord, a special shout out to you, Leza Bauer. A special happy birthday to you know who. And thank you so much for your support. 
love hearing from you, and your support has actually contributed to website updates and hosting. I had an issue with my hyperlinks not working. I was able to grab a plugin that updated all of my content in 10 seconds. That's over 600 episodes updated with a click. Mate, thank you so much. You've saved me so much time. Cheers, Leza. And of course, the liquid lava of brilliant peeps that speed through my podcast veins. My Earl Grey enforcers. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffili, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for being epic and supporting this show. I'll be reading a couple of iTunes reviews next week and a whole new set of stories, so I can't wait to see you then, mates. Have a fantastic Easter break. I know I will, and I'll catch you Wednesday next week. Guns a-blazin'. Ready for your lovely ears. As always, mates, till next we meet. Mate.